My friend, she's got you dangling. Well, that doesn't matter. All I want is that lecture. Are you sure that's all you want? Well. <laughs> 007, Britain's finest secret agent, licensed to kill, mixing business with girls and thrills. I've seen you on the screen, it's you that I adore. Since I was a boy, I wanted to be like Roger Moore, a girl in every port. Gadgets up my sleeve The world is not enough For the both of us it seems So I wish I was James Bond Just for the day Kissing all the girls Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirl as the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better in the dark. dark. and gentlemen this is the one this is where it starts yep this is where we begin our long threatened because <laughs> i think that's probably what's yes. about to be more than well we had wanted to do this james bond series right from the start but if you remember the person who we were doing it for at the time was like maybe after a while but right now i don't think it fits into our worldview it fits into our, our that's right view because we're producing it ourselves that's now. right so Anything we want can fit into our worldview. This is the first of what is going to be 12 episodes. You guys do the math. We're going to do all of the James Bond movies. 21. And we're going to do two per episode. Plus we're doing the two peripheral Bond movies. The first Casino Royale. And I can hear you out there groaning already. Deal with it. Because yes, we're going to do the first Casino uh, Royale. The James Bond spoof. And Never Say Never Again. Right. That's just the main spine, because I think we've also agreed we're going to do a little sidebar somewhere down the road about our favorite Bond pretender, Mr. Derek Flint. Right. The other 60 spies, like Van Helm, yes. we're going to include that in there. There's a couple of others. There was even a couple of... We're going to do Modesty, aren't we? We're going to do Modesty Blake. I love Modesty Blake. There was even a couple of movies starring, of all people, John Connery's kid brother. The infamous Operation Kid, kid brother. brother. right. So we're going to do... In a, fact... We're going to do a peripheral side view of other 60s. I should uh, this up to show you just how much spy culture means to me, because we were both kids of the 60s, so we grew up in the height of spy culture. Mm-hmm. Now check this out. Check this out. This is, of course, Cougar Ridge. Now check out... What's playing at the movie theater in Cougar Ridge? 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yep. This, yep. Okay. Harry Palmer on Monday. At Helm on Tuesday. Right, Harry Palmer. Yeah. But many people have called the thinking man James Bond. Exactly. It's cool stuff, cool man. Cool stuff, yeah. Shit, I gotta go to Cougar Ridge. And go to <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're going to start it out chronologically. Yes, we, think we've agreed. We sat down and we talked about it and we said, well, how are we going to do this? So we're going to do this chronologically, which means that we're going to include the first Casino Royale in there. Uh, roughly about the time that it came out. And as well as Never Say Never Again. It basically be right there with Octopussy. Was right. they came out that same they year. They came out that same summer. Mm -hmm. That was the summer billed as the Battle of the Bond. We grew up in the 60s. Right. My first memory of James Bond is of being taken by my parents, who apparently couldn't find a babysitter because I was awfully young then, so my memories are so vague, to a Jamaica Avenue movie theater to see one of the re-releases, because that was the thing back in the 60s and 70s when we were kids, there was always a Bond film in the theaters because they were being perpetually re-released. Yeah. We got to see You Only Live Twice, but I was so young I could barely remember seeing it. My first clear memory was going to the Oasis movie theater on Fresh Pond Road, in Ridgewood, Queens, near mm. where I live now. It's now a CVS. And it, before it was a CVS, it was a roller disco. <laughs> okay. And my natural father, not the guy I usually refer to as my father, Chester, Chester yeah. took me to see Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. And I got bored, and I convinced him to leave halfway through, which didn't please him. Really? Anybody. I was like, what? I was up maybe six at the time, six or seven. Wow. That was your first Bond that film, too. That was my first film. My father took me to see Diamonds Are Forever, and I loved it. I sat there with my mouth open, and I said, well, where's this shit been all my life? Mm. My father, of course, knew James Bond because he was a big reader. He had read the books, of course. Right. And he was the one who passed on the books down to me after he was finished with them. So I was familiar with James Bond in both his literary incarnation right. and in his movie version, which, to say the least, very different. very different. Yeah. There was a period of time, I used to joke that, there were so many paperback Bond novels in the, the used bookstores that they actually bred. Yeah. Because you could always find, like, for 25 cents, 50 cents, old, thumb-eared versions of the, the Del... The Del Paper, right. The Del Paper with those really dull-looking covers. Mm -hmm. Usually of a naked girl's back. Yeah. <laughs> The picture was only like the lower half of the the actual right. poster. Right, and the title took up yeah. most of it, yeah. read through those when I was in junior high school. I read through the entire Fleming cycle. I think the only one that I did not read that was available at that time was, of course, the ultra-rare Colonel Sun, which was done oh, yeah. by... Kingly Amos after Amos, yeah. Ian Fleming died. But the character of James Bond is one that I think it's safe to say that he's the original action hero. Mm -hmm. And if we hadn't had James Bond in the movie, we wouldn't have John McClane. Right. We wouldn't have John Rambo. We wouldn't Jason have Bourne. Jason Bourne. We wouldn't have Indiana Jones. We right. wouldn't have just about any action hero that you can name that's been in the movies the last 30, 40 years owes his existence to James Bond, who right. started it all. He was the original franchise. He hero. remains the longest-lasting franchise in the history of motion pictures. Yeah, there you go. 21 films over the course of almost 40 years at this point. We're going to celebrate. We're going to go as in-depth as we can with each. So that's why we're devoting each episode to two films apiece. And we're going to start from the beginning. We're not going to mention the, the TV pilot that was done. It is worth mentioning because back in the day, when I used to hang out at bars, yeah. I used to win a lot of drinks on this trivia question. <laughs> because people would ask me trivia questions, right. and if I got it right, 
dead by me drinking, if I got a wrong head mm-hmm. by me. And I always used to win with this question when it said, oh, well, who's the first James Bond? I would say, oh, well, Barry Nelson. They said, no, it was Sean Connery. Said, no, it was Barry Nelson, who actually was the first right. James Bond. Jimmy Bond. Yeah. In an American TV mm-hmm. adaptation of oh, Casino Royale. Royale. Yeah. Which makes Casino Royale the most adopted James Bond novel. That is correct. Yeah. It has been done three times. Thunderball okay. has been done twice. The Spy Who Loved Me has been remade at least unofficially three times. Actually, Spy Who Loved Me is a remake of You Only Live Twice. Right. So I know what you mean. But the most bold-faced, of course, was when they decided to remake it immediately after it came out. <laughs> you know? Gee, that was our best Bond ever. Let's make it again! Let's, yeah, why not? It made money the first right. time. Where do we start? Do we start with two, like, shall we call them great, great men? Harry uh, Saltzman and Albert Cubby Broccoli. Oh, yeah. Fantastic men. Because they were the guys who right. started it. They devoted their whole lives to this yeah. franchise. Albert Broccoli had been in the movie industry for 1952, where our story actually starts. Mm-hmm. He was a vegetable wholesaler. I did who, not know that. Originally, who came to California and found that he had a talent for being an agent. Became an agent and then decided he wanted to be in production partnered with Mr. Irwin Allen and started a company called Warwick Pictures based in London and started making films there. One film that he made was called The Scandal of Oscar Wilde, which did not do very well. And he was looking around for something else that he could do. Some lucrative property. Some lucrative property. And apparently back in 1956, he had already started thinking about doing the Bond novels but had no success in securing the rights. Mm. He tried again in 1960 and found out that the rights had already been bought by a man by the name of Harry Salzman. So he approached Harry and said, hey, let me buy your rights. Harry didn't want it, but he couldn't get financed. So they entered into a partnership that was originally called Darkwu, I think it is. Some weird name with a lot of cues in it. First, they went to, I think it was Universal, then went to United Artists. United Artists was a little bit doubtful about this spy movie being anything that was going to be worthwhile. So they gave it a budget of a million dollars. Which back then was big money. Yeah. Still, it was still considered a low-budget production in those yeah, days. But we're talking about what, 1960? 1961. So they didn't have a lot of money. A modest the, budget for the time. Let's you look at Dr. No now. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. They had a million dollars. In fact, there are times where Ken Adams said... They asked for a new set, and we'd already used up our set budget. I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? We're already talking about Dr. No here. <laughs> they had screen tested a couple of people, one of which was a young man by the name of Roger Moore. Right. You will see this a lot. This is funny. It's where you see people who are screen tested to replace James Bond. They didn't make it that time, but they come back to but them. But they always come back. Roger Moore, unfortunately, could not get away from a commitments he made to a TV series he starred. He was called The Saint. The Saint. Supposedly, the story goes... Cubby Broccoli was vacationing in America with his wife, Dana, and went to see a film called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And they became rather fascinated with this Scottish actor in the film called Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, Dana turns to her husband and goes, that's our bond up there. I believe it. At the same time, Harry Saltzman gets his hands on a war movie on the fiddle and becomes intrigued with this Scottish Scottish actor. actor. And this supposedly is happening independent of each other. Mm-hmm. And he says, I want to try this guy out. That's how they ended up going with Sean Connery. Okay. For the record, other people who tried out included another famous spy name, Patrick McGowan. Patrick McGowan. Who at the time was preparing for Danger Man. Right. Which is known here in the States as Secret Agent. Secret, yeah, Secret Agent. And is perhaps best known for one of the most impenetrable shows ever. 
<laughs> and I say that with utter admiration. Oh, yeah, because it was one of the a prisoner. Brilliant, a brilliant show. Uh, but other people, mm. David Niven, right. was also considered who did play. They actually almost with, went with Cary Grant. With Cary Grant. They were yeah. desperate. Yeah. Shooting started in 1960. They shot in and around Jamaica, which at the time had just gained independence from America. Mm -hmm. So they were anxious to promote tourism there. Right. So they chose Dr. No because it was one of the simpler novels, and as such, they could bring it in under budget. And it has a pretty straightforward right. plot. Get to the island, get Dr. No. Right, get yeah. to the island, get Dr. No, freaky-deaky Asian guy, <laughs> and then sleep with the, the topless blonde. At least in the novel, it was a topless blonde. She had to wear a bikini in this one. Well, this was 1962. That's true. If they were making it today... There uh, would be a topless blonde. You know, an artist didn't have a lot of faith in this film. At first, they released it only to drive-ins. Hmm. Apparently the drive-in receipts were rather encouraging. They probably word of mouth. Right, yeah. and they gave it a full-on theatrical. They did so well with it that they just approved a $2 million budget for the next film, which I guess brings us to the film itself. Right, Dr. No. Dr. No. The first Bond... The very first one. Plot, as you said, is very simple. There's an assassination in the Jamaica Bureau. The head of the Jamaica branch of, the British, of the British Secret mm -hmm. Service. Mm -hmm. He and his secretary are assassinated... By three blind guys. Yes. Now you got to remember, folks, since this is the first one, we don't have the familiar elements that we see right. in later movies. The theme song is some calypso. It starts out with the actual Monty Norman James Bond theme. Right. And then it leads into a calypso version of Three Blind of Mice. Three Blind Mice. This is the first film, and it's also the film that's not supervised by John Barry. Monty Norman is Monty the, Norman is the actual guy that, even though erroneously later on, people John have Barry described. Was described mm -hmm. Yeah, the James Bond theme to him. Another little bit of trivia, the guy in The Iris at mm -hmm. the very beginning, that is never Sean Connery in any of his films. Really? I did not know that. It was an actor mm -hmm. that did, just did that. I guess that's why he has a hat on. Right. Kind of like guys fact, yeah. not Sean Connery. Once we get to the other... Bonds, mm -hmm. they are oh, recognizably. Yeah. You can obviously tell it's Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan. Mm -hmm. and what. So he's assassinated. He's mm -hmm. killed by these three blind guys mm -hmm. who were not so blind, apparently. Right. And the Jamaican branch of the British Secret Service is burnt down to the ground. Right. M, played by Bernard Lee, sends for us his best agent, 007, mm -hmm. James Bond, down to Jamaica to find out what happened. Because the popular story is that Strangways ran off with his secretary. secretary. But in reality, Strangways has been investigating this mysterious island called Crab Key. Crab Key. Which is owned and operated by Dr. Julius Note, A mysterious Chinese so-called businessman <laughs> who is operating, of all things, a guano factory yes. on the island. <laughs> At the same time, it turns out that American and Soviet spaceships are being interfered with, which leads them to start accusing each other. You right. know, well, why are you fucking with our satellites? But as it turns out, it's actually Dr. No, who's agent of Spectre, which is the special executive for... The special executive for... For revenge. Torture, revenge, and extortion. Right. So Dr. Or terrorism, ex revenge, one of those two. So Dr. No was trying to start some shit between America and... Which is something we'll see Spectre do several times throughout the series. Oh yeah, that's the, the M.O. They don't deliberately go after somebody until Thunderball. Right. Bond goes down into Jamaica, meets up with his CIA counterpart, Felix Leiter. Played by Jack Lord. Of a Y5. And you know what was scary though? You could almost see David Caruso was watching Jack Lauren decide, I'm going to play Horatio <laughs> Kane just like him. 
You know what I'm saying? I, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of it, especially with the sunglasses. Yeah. Because Jack Lord does the same thing. You know? Take off glasses. Nod, nod. Put glasses back on. Uh-huh. James Bond is down there, and he starts his investigation, which leads him into conflict with a bunch of unsavory characters, mm-hmm. such as Miss Tarot. There's this doctor who has these courts, these, uh... The one who sticks the tarantula on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the creepiest scenes yeah. in the movie, because he goes to the island to see Dr. No. And That's one of the sets, by the way. The set where it's just like the big, empty room with the huge skylight. That was one of the, the sets that Ken Adams had to jury rig because they had run out of money. But it's a very surreal-esque yeah. scene, and he goes in the room... And, and you can see in that scene where 15 other spy movies got their ideas for their oh. sinister headquarters. As much as I love the Avengers, the whole Avengers aesthetic can mm-hmm. be seen in that one scene. And that one scene. And he's sitting there in the... That looks like one a, little chair that doesn't it, even look like it fits him. And he looks like a little boy waiting for the principal to come in. He's telling Dr. No, yeah, well, this guy, James Bond, he's on the island, he's investigating us, what do we do? And then Dr. No says, well, look to your left. And he looked to the left, and there's a table. A table that wasn't there yeah. before. And this got a box yeah. a tarantula on there. You say, wait a minute. That table wasn't there. That yes. box, well, how did it get there? He gets the box, mm. tries to kill James Bond with it. That scene, you know, they really should do something with that scene. They should digitally do something because it's pretty obvious it's a pane of glass. Yeah. Between Sean Connery. Mm. Not that I'm But you know what the thing is, though, is that, once again, we've talked about this before. In 1961, these filmmakers didn't think that there is going to be this super high, crystal clear way of watching movies 40 years into the future. Where every single little seam and trick yeah. can be revealed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine some guy back there saying, well, just show him a pane of glasses. Yeah. He said, well, don't you think they're going to invent high definition? Yeah, of course not. Well, who gives a of shit? We'll, not. we'll be dead. Right. right. We That's the thing we always have to keep in mind when we talk about these earlier films. Yeah. And people always talk about, oh, well, special effects are so cheesy and so corny. Listen, put it in the context of what it is. These people had no idea we were still going to be watching yeah. these movies 40 mm-hmm. years later. They really did United Artists literally felt that this was going to be the one, and that was it. They did not think that this film was going to take off. After a number of murder attempts to kill Bond go awry, especially by this doctor, mm-hmm. who keeps trying to kill Bond and he doesn't that do That would it. be Professor Dent. Strangways brought him right. samples from crab mm-hmm. tea that turned out to be radioactive. Right. That tips Bond off that Dent isn't exactly on the up and right. up. Interesting thing about Professor Dent. The actor who played him was Anthony Dawson. Okay. Who is famous in Bond lore for being the hands of Blofeld in the next three pictures. Really? He just did the hands. He did the hands. The <laughs> voice is dubbed by another actor. Mm-hmm. But all the acting, uh, the petting of the cat and the pushing of the buns and stuff, mm-hmm. that's all Anthony Dawson. Interesting. I'm glad he kept getting a check from the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Chung, who directed this, was very, very loyal to people. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Bond does get to Crab King, mm-hmm. assisted by Quarrel, who is another CIA mm-hmm. operative. He gets to Crab Key and finds out that it's protected by, of all things, a dragon, which actually turns out to be a tank. Uh, a fl- with flamethrower. Right, with a flamethrower. But it's there to keep the superstitious natives mm-hmm. away. Because Dr. No doesn't want anybody coming to Crab Key. Right. Of course, James Bond wants to find out why he doesn't want him coming to Crab Key. And he's not the only person who's come to Crab Key on that day. No, he doesn't. We also find out that Ursula Andress 
as Honey Child Rider. Or as she used to be called back then, Ursula Undress. <laughs> Who goes down in movie history with this one as the first Bond girl. It's funny because I listened to the commentary track on Dr. No. I've watched them both with and without the commentary track. I own the complete ultimate yeah. James Bond series. Andrew says, I never understood why people got so hot about this. Mm-hmm. I'm just coming out the water. <laughs> Wasn't a voice dub yes. in this movie as well? Yeah. Yes. I think that the first time we ever hear a Bond girl speak with her own voice is in Goldfinger. Wow. Because Deanna Bianchi also is dubbed. Yeah, I know that. She's on an island, but she comes there for a very different reason. She comes there for the exotic shell right. that on the beach, which she sells to make a couple of dollars. Right. She sells them to a researcher or whatever. It's never made clear who she sells them to. Well, I assumed it was like a tourist thing. In the meantime, Dr. No is aware that Bond is on the island, so he sends his troops after him. He right. sends a dragon there. They're shooting machine guns from the boat trying to flush right. them out. And, and unfortunately, Coral will be first in a long, long, long line of Bond allies who get all buddy with him only to fall prey to whatever well, it is. Well, every Bond movie has what is known as the sacrificial right. lamb, which means one of his allies gets whacked during right. the course of the thing. And in this one, Quarrel is the guy who's got to bite the bullet because yeah. they're not going to kill off Ursula Andrews. Right. <laughs> Let's face it. So they're taken by Dr. Nose Man. We finally meet a good one. We're about like an hour more yeah, into the it's movie. it's about an hour and 20 minutes before we finally get our glimpse of Joseph Wiseman. Joseph Wiseman. As Dr. No. Who is always revered by the Better the Dark offices as the man who was Manny Weisborg. Crime stories. One interesting thing that we ought to know, that Ian Fleming, who was heavily involved in the actual production of this, mm-hmm. and was on set a right. lot of times. If he actually ruined a day of filming. Really? Because he said to his buddy Noel Carroll, hey, you want to go see the movie being shot? Yeah, right. <laughs> they yeah. actually walked into the shot. Ian Fleming lobbied hard for... An actor named Christopher Lee to yes. play the part because... Uh, Christopher Lee is Ian Fleming's cousin. He's cousin, yeah. They're actually related. And I, Christopher Lee did eventually get his chance to be a Bond villain. Right. And further on down. Further on down the line. Now, Dr. No goes... And again, we see one of the motifs of the Bond movie starts in this first one. Right. That the villain sits James Bond the down. Here. Gives him the best of food and drink. I'm going to kill you, but first let's have a meal. And let me tell you my grand yes, glorious yes. plan and, yes. and explain everything I'm going to do to you mm-hmm. instead of just putting a gun to your head and blowing your brains out. Right. James Bond and Dr. No, they engage in all of this repartee. Actually, Dr. No comes off as pretty cool because he says, I thought you was an intelligent man, but now I see you're nothing but another stupid police. <laughs> yes, right. Which I don't really yes. We also find out that Dr. No has lost his hands. Right. In, lab uh, accident. Lab accident. So he has these metal... In the novel, they were cut off because of tongs. Right. He stole a fortune and right. from the tongs. And he wouldn't tell them where it was at. So mm-hmm. he said, okay, well, we'll just take your hands. Dr. No then proceeds to put Bond through a gauntlet. Right. Torture. He puts him in a tube that gets hot. Mm-hmm. And then, what, the water the, right. the floods down through there... And he stakes out Honey Child Rider in this thing, and Crab's supposed to eat her or something Which like actually that. was filmed, but Peter Hunt... Peter Hunt is one of the unsung heroes of the early Bond series. Mm-hmm. He was the editor. He had to devise specific editing tricks to keep the film moving. Mm-hmm. He edited all of the, the Connery ones, and he directed... The only George Lazenby one on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Ah, yeah. Which is an unsung jewel in the crowd, yes, let's put it that which way. Which we will get to when the time is right. James Bond gets through this gauntlet, 
The Gauntlet in the book was actually much more brutal and yeah. much more frightening. This one, I said, well, I can't see how Dr. No thought this was going to kill him. Because, right. you know, really. Because Bond gets through it much too easily. He finds a technician, mm-hmm. beats the crap out of him, takes his suit. And again, we see another familiar thing where Bond infiltrates the bad guy's right. lair. And Dr. And turns Noah, it against him. Yeah, Dr. Noah's got this nuclear reactor of his own. And he's mm-hmm. getting ready to disrupt another... What he's been doing over here right, all this time. Right, all, all along. He's the one been disrupting the American and Soviet rockets. James Bond gets in there and he starts pulling levers and dials and yeah. just carrying on cranky in mm-hmm. general. And Dr. No, they get into a fight. And look at Joseph Wiseman when he runs toward James yeah. Bond. He's got like this weird robotic... <laughs> I haven't seen anybody yeah. run that weird since Steven Seagal. All right. Get into a fight and James Bond naturally throws him in a pool of boiling right. water, the, the water that the reactor is in. The island starts blowing up again, which is something we're going to see again and again. The bad guy's headquarters blows up, and the movie ends with James Bond and Honey Child in a raft, in a clinch. He's got the girl. He saved the world for the first time. And along comes Horatio. I mean, sorry, I mean, Felix Leiter. Felix Leiter. (laughs) (laughs) Fade out in the movie. Right. This may not seem like a lot, but again, I got to stress that you see a lot of the familiar elements. That they just haven't jailed yet. Right, the exotic places, the casual brutality oh, yeah. of Bond. He, he's got a scene, actually, where he shoots Professor Dent. He kills him in cold blood. That's it, he questions mm-hmm. him. Of course, it can't be argued that Professor Dent, because he sneaks into the room, right. and he pumps six bullets into what he thinks is Bond laying right. on the bed. But, of course, Bond knows the guy was coming, and he's got a dummy that's right. in the bed. So it can't be argued the guy was trying to kill him. But still, he's talking to him for about like four or five minutes. And then after that, he could have let him go and knocked him down. Nah, he just, bam, shoots him dead. That points up the fact of Bond's character. The guy's not here to play. He's an assassin for his government. He's a blunt object. That's what he is. He's an assassin. In fact, much later down the line, when we get to the first Pierce Brosnan film, Goldeneye, Judy Dench is the new M, got it in one. You're a dinosaur, you're a brute, you're just a weapon that I can point. Yeah, that I point. Pull the trigger, and that's what you do. I think this movie still holds up very yeah. well. If as... there's one thing that I think is a flaw in it, yeah, it's that first 45 minutes, which is just, and I think it's indicative of the fact that the theme song is played every three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Here he is, it's James Bond, <laughs> he's a cool dude. <laughs> Well, they didn't have... Well, yeah, no, here's John Bond the casino. Now, we're going to watch him walk away from the casino, and he's going to talk to M. Then he's going to talk to Moneypenny. Everything is, it's like, <laughs> set up, and, set, and every three minutes, here he is, he's James Bond. You know what it reminds me what? of? It reminds me of that movie, I'm Going to Get You Sucker, yes. where Bernie Casey has the bad fellas behind him everywhere he go play this theme song. Yes. <laughs> it's the same effect. He's going to the bathroom, he pulls out his zipper. Da-da-da, da-da-da. And there are also elements that were introduced in Dr. No that didn't take. Sylvia Trench. And Sylvia Trench, the girlfriend. The girlfriend who was supposed to be originally in every movie. She would get disgruntled with Bond had Yeah, The idea was, according to Eunice Grayson, who played Sylvia Trench, was that she was going to have these disgruntled sequences in the first four films. And in the fifth film, she was going to be the Bond girl. But it didn't work out. She only lasts for one more film. We also don't see the original Major Boothroy... Is it only in this film? Right. When we get to the next film, comes, of course, Q. Mm-hmm. Although he's supposedly playing the same guy. 
I actually think they're two different characters. Yeah. So. One of the other things we should mention is it's a very simplistic film, but it's also right. very, very, very true to the novel. When you're talking about faithfulness to the novels, some James Bond novels, you can read them, and you can say, well, this is nothing like the... Yeah. Which I did as a kid reading right. them. And I would say to my father, well, they're nothing like the movies. And he said, yeah, well, they changed it for the movies. And I said, why? But Dr. No is just about 90% faithful to the original novel. It plays more like a straightforward spy thriller. Well, even more so, the next one. Yeah, yeah. the next one is... Yeah, which is, I know, is a particular favorite of yours. For many, many years, is as close as you ever get to James Bond being an actual, straightforward spy. That's because in a lot of his movies, he really doesn't act like a spy. And there are some, like <laughs> uh, Live and Let Die, where he's being led around by his nose. Right, by bad guy. In Dr. No, he does act like a spy. Right. We actually see him investigating mm -hmm. things. He's putting together clues. He's interrogating people. He's in like some of the later Bond movies. He's more of a conventional action right. hero. But in this one, we do see him acting like a spy and in From Russia With Love. Getting away from that 40 minutes of sheer introductory drivel. You're right, it still holds up. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think we're going to see in, in most of the Bond films, is that they, even though they are of their time, right. much like the Avengers is, the Avengers is of its time, but it's also got some weird, timeless quality to it. Right. James Bond is of his time because quite frequently you will see references thematically, if not fact-wise, with things that are going on in the world that year. 62, that's the year of the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. You're right. Uh, we were in the height of the Cold War. Right. Yeah, that almost turned hot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Almost turned too hot. I, I still think it's a minor bond. Mm -hmm. It's not in that upper stratosphere that you would put something like The Spy Love Me or Goldfinger or mm -hmm. Living Daylights. Right. But it is still a good bond. It's a solid, solid movie. It is. I don't think that many audiences, many of the... The younger viewers today would probably appreciate for what it was. They would probably want to start with one of the Brosnan. I'm willing to bet. Now, granted, the Brosnan ones are still relatively fresh. Yeah. But I guarantee you, 10, 20 years from now, the Brosnan films are going to look really, really dated. Well, look at the Bond movies. Oh, dated. God. Black exploitation Bond. Yeah. Well, see, this is it. By doing that, it firmly locked itself into a time right. period, which Dr. No doesn't do. Doesn't or, do. as much as you and I love for your eyes only, Disco Bond. Bingo. That Bill Conti score is so bizarre. It doesn't belong in there at all. Red like to see by the pool. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody makes music like that. Yeah. <laughs> nobody would even be caught dead dancing to music like yeah. that. So I guess we can say yeah, that. Well, you know, Doctor No, we... It took a while, but Doctor No did become a successful film for United Artists. It took about a year, but they did make the put the go-ahead through for a second Bond film. Mm-hmm. After some discussion, they decided to go with From Russia. Remember, we're not yet to the point of James Bond will return. Right. There's no James Bond will return at the end of Doctor No. And we're not even to the point of Bond Mania yet. We haven't gotten there yet. In fact, yet. we're not even going to get to there in this episode. That's for next episode. The decision was made to go with From Russia with Love. Once again, this uh, film is very, very close to the book. It's a very tight... Oh, very very tight, very suspenseful, because we haven't gotten to the point yet where we can say, eh, yeah, well, we know he's James Bond, yeah. he's going to kick everybody's ass, he's going to get the girl, he's going to win. Here's where we get the first pre-credit sequence, although that was an accident. 
That was something that was supposed to happen after the credits, but Peter Hunt suggested to director Taron Chung, what if we put this at the beginning of the film? Because they gave it a try and they liked it. Yeah, because it makes you sit up and say, whoa, yeah. his mom just got killed. Got, got killed. Wait a minute. <laughs> in introducing, and you and I have had long discussions about this, one of the true great secondary villains in the history of this set franchise. Mm-hmm. The relentless, the nasty as all hell, Mr. Red Grant. As played by the wonderful, wonderful. Robert Shaw. This one has had a budget of $2 million, as I mentioned. Okay, they doubled the budget. Yeah. Which meant that they could go on location longer, and mm-hmm. they their location was primarily Turkey. Contrary to what people may think, the Orient Express sequence was actually shot at Pinewood. This is a good movie. And once again, we have a plot that's tied into Spectre. Right who is back to their old tricks again of pitting two opposing forces against each other. They also want to get revenge on James Bond. For killing off their agent, Dr. Dr. No. So they devise this plan where they're going to get this girl, because Rosa Klebb, who is a Russian officer, actually is a double agent working for Spectre. Spectre, Yeah, she defects from Spectre a few months prior to the the start of the... But nobody knows about it yet. Right, so she's still working for the Russians, but she's actually loyal to Spectre. Right. Her, along with master chess player Kronstein, devises plans by which they will A, Mm -hmm. kill James Bond, B, embarrass and discredit the British Secret Service, and C... Get their, their hands, hands on, on the lector. The lector. <laughs> How did you describe You described it best. The, the super typewriter? Yeah. 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 It's, basically, it's, it's a coding machine that's about the size of a typewriter, and supposedly it's something that the British Secret Service has wanted their hands on. Right. And so what they do is they orchestrate this thing where they pick the cipher clerk, played by the former Miss Italy in the Miss Universe. Uh, she was a finalist. She came in third, I think. Okay. Diana Bianchi, mm-hmm. who knew no English. Once again, we have a Bond girl who mm-hmm. is dubbed. And tell her to go along with this plot where they're going to say, oh, this woman is in love with you. She wants to defect, but only if you come and if get her. If you come and get her, right. And she's willing to give you the lector. You know what See I'm... this carrot at the end of this stick? Look! But you know what I like? I what? like it when... Bond goes to see M, and mm-hmm. M tells him about this, and he shows him the picture. And they're cracking up, because of course they know it. Yeah. You know what I like? I like But the thing I like about this These are guys are spies. They well, the other thing I like up. about that is that Spectre sets this up, knowing like, well, they're going to know it's a trap. See, yeah, but they're going to have to go but in they're there. they're going to have to go anyway, yeah, because it's the lector. And which even M says, well, it's a trap, but this is your job. Right. You know? <laughs> go do it. So go get the girl. Go and after flirting with Money Penny, who we forgot to mention, I guess, in the first Money Penny, we saw in Dr. No. Yeah, Lois Maxwell. Yeah. Second only to Desmond Llewellyn for appearing in more Bond right. films than anybody else. Canadian actress. She passed away last she year. She passed away last year. Yeah. In fact, I think that we agree that this episode is devoted to two great, great people who were associated with the Bond films who have passed on in recent years. Both herself and the gentleman we're about to mention right now, the man who holds the record for appearing in more James Bond films than anybody than else. Anybody else. Who he's referred to only as Major Boothroy in this film. But we all know him as Q, Q. played by Desmond Llewellyn, mm-hmm. a Welsh actor who is apparently the exact opposite of Q, was apparently the nicest man in the face of the yeah. earth. The scene he's in is fairly unassuming. We get the first gadget in this film, uh-huh. and it's just a briefcase with a whole bunch of crazy crap going on. There's gold coins in there, gold right. sovereigns. If you hit the side, there's a knife that pops right. out. You have to turn the latches a certain, certain way. way. If you don't, tear gas. you get a face full of tear gas. Yeah. And there's the sniper rifle. So it's a handy little briefcase to have if you're going to get a lector. He goes off to Turkey. 
and is met by one of my favorite characters. Oh, one the, of the one of the best in all of the all of the Bond films. One of the best sidekicks, Karim Bay. Now, there's an interesting story about the actor who played Karen Bay. Who is the guy who's in charge of the Turkish branch of the British Secret Service. Who she apparently branch. have a branch yes. where They're like McDonald's. The actor who played Karen Bay is Pedro Armandias. Right. He was a favorite of the Western director, John Ford. John Ford knew Terrence Young, and at the beginning of pre-production for From Russia With Love, John contacted Terrence and said, I'd consider it a personal favor if you could find something for Pedro to do. Mm. John knew that he was suffering from terminal cancer. Wow. Did not tell Terrence Young at the time. But Pedro was worried about dying without leaving his family anything. Mm -hmm. So he took the job and was doing great, and then he took a turn for the worse mm. and came clean to Broccoli and Terrence Young. They rearranged the script so that they could shoot most of his scenes in Pinewood. Mm -hmm. so that he could go from the hospital to the, the studio and back. Oh, that was nice. He unfortunately died before shooting was finished. Mm. There are a couple of scenes in the film where Karen Bay is played by a stuntman or by Terrence Chung himself. Really? He's probably, and you would never guess from his performance because yes. he's so gusty and so full of life and bravado. And, I mean, the man is just exude life. You, the thing is, Terrence Young, and I, I mentioned this earlier in this thing, he's a very loyal man. Mm -hmm. And even though he could have just recast it, he stuck by this guy. And I think it shows in, in his performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, another person in this film who was a beneficiary of Terrence Young's loyalty was Martine Bestwick, mm -hmm. who plays one of the two gypsy women. Right, who in had the, the, the fight, cat fight, yeah, had, had the infamous cat fight. cat fight. She auditioned for Honey Rider for Doctor No. Taryn Chung felt that she wasn't quite there yet, but she promised her, "If I can find something for you in a, in a film, I will do it. Mm -hmm. And if you get acting lessons." And so she went, and he, sure enough, he found this role of the or the gypsies. There's no dialogue. Well, there's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah, it's just a lot of screaming and cussing. After she was done there. She said, oh, well, I moved to London. I'm going to the Royal Arts Academy. That's so like, oh, okay, good. if you keep doing this, I will promise you I will get you another role. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he was as good as his word because mm -hmm. she's yeah, she shows up later in Thunderball. Yes. Young, it's funny because most people claim that Terrence Young was James Bond. Really? He was very, very, very similar in temperament mm -hmm. and in tastes to the Bond in the mm -hmm. movies. Probably. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. He was so good at directing them, yeah. And him and Karim Bey plot to get the Lecter out with the help of Tatana Romanova, who was played Ooh, the Danielle Blanche, yeah. Bianchi. They do succeed. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in the background, you've got Red Grant, who's kind of keeping an eye on Bond, while uh, Rosa Klebb and Kronstein are orchestrating this little dance of death mm -hmm. to get the Russians and the Americans more and more pissed off at each other. Actually, kind of funny, because I was watching the movie the other night, and in a way I said, you know something? Rob Shaw was playing the shark in Jaws four yes. years before. Because that's what he's kind of yeah. like. He's kind of like the shark. He doesn't have a word of dialogue. In Jaws, because he's always in the background. Yeah. And you know, like at and the, the gypsy camp, yeah. where they're having the cat fight. He kills two guys that... Yeah. Drawing a beat on Bond because he wants to kill him right. himself. And Bond said, bam. He's like, well, well shit, who shot that guy? You Seriously, know? <laughs> he doesn't have a line of dialogue in that film until the infamous final confrontation. Right. He's a very, very menacing figure. Because you said, well, damn, but what is he, you know? He is, and you and I have talked about this, bar none, 
the toughest and the scariest of the what we call the Bond secondary villains. You can talk about Jaws, you can talk about Odd Job. Mm. No. Yeah. There are only two other people that I think we've determined could probably get into a fight with him. Necros from Necros from Living Living Daylights and Zinnia Onatop from GoldenEye. Yeah. Those are the only two people who could probably maybe walk away with one of their limbs attached. Yeah. Because Red Grant is like, ugh. You do not want to fuck with Red Grant. Oh, man. Robert Shaw just plays him with such icy precision. That's what it is. The the guy's very precise about what he's doing. And he's not like George where they turn him into like uh, a cartoon. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, he doesn't have these cute, funny one-liners. The man's dead to do... He's just a relentless killing machine. Exactly. You know, the man is there to do work. Bond gets his hand on the girl and on the lecture. lecture. That order. Unfortunately, what he doesn't know is that while he was getting his hands on the girl, Mm -hmm. the bad guys got their hands on some film of him having a girl, which they're planning on leaving on his body. As a kind of, quote-unquote, suicide pact confession. Right. Well, this is part of the plan to Mm -hmm. discredit the British Secret Service. This is how they're going to do it. Part of the plan involves them escaping on the Orient Express. Right. Bond meets up with what he thinks is his contact. Right. But it's actually Ray Grant who has killed the contact mm-hmm. and taken his place. This is when we start to hear him say dialogue. And it's really funny because he comes across as jovial. And he, he's got this consciously cliched, oh, dear, oh, well, man. It's like a PG He reminds me of, you won't have. familiar with the film Mystery Men, the Blue Raja. When yeah. Hank Azazia does the Blue Raja. Oh, oh yes, my yeah, I've got to go off. And, well, it's a stage, Englishman. So Ray Grant drugs the girl when they go to dinner. Which, by the way, tips off Bond that he's not the guy who says right. he is because, as Bond says, you've made the unforgivable sin of ordering red wine with your face. Yes. <laughs> red Grant spills the beans as to the plan. Well, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to kill you. We've got the film. I'm going to take the lecture. Spectre wins! <laughs> yeah. Bond tries to make a deal with the guy. says, listen, i got a fortune in gold coins that's in my suitcase. 50 gold sovereigns. Yeah. If you take them and let us go. Right. Red Grant says, well, what if I just take him and kill you anyway? Which, to me, would make more sense. Yeah. That's the one thing that f- strikes a false note with me, that he would even consider that, because this is the sole thing he's been trained for, to kill James mm-hmm. Bond. Why would he even... Right. But, eh, but I mean, he spent, we don't know how long on that Spectre kill facility. Yeah. That wonderful little island training center, which Cleb and the, the trainer are having that walk through, and he's, Cleb is going, I find that practical experience is more important than just training. He's like, yes, that's why we use live subjects. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> An- another great line. Yes. <laughs> Whoa, they don't play on this island. By using his gimmicked up briefcase with the tear gas, Bond gets to drop on mm-hmm. Red Grant, which leads to one of the most brutal and famous fights. And yet it lasts only two minutes. Yeah, it doesn't last that long. In real life fights, it's like that yeah. don't last long. It's not like in movies we have now where 15 minutes of you know, ooh-ah, ooh-ah, ooh-ah. And wire foods. I mean, these guys are in a very small, cramped area, and they're trying their best to kill each other, mm-hmm. which they do, which, of course, James Bond gets the upper hand on Red Grant. And what follows, basically, is a chase. Now Bond has got to get out of the country right, with the lector and with the girl. The remaining Spectre agents, all of who are nondescript, after Red yeah. Grant, they're let down. And they're the coming front. after him in helicopters and boats. Yeah, like and all kinds of hoop-for-rock. He gets out of the country, blowing up a helicopter, yeah. blowing up a whole fleet of boats. Yeah. He's being chased by a fleet of Spectre agents on boats, so he basically unmoors the fuel tanks from the boat they're on, mm-hmm. takes the flare gun, and ignites Right, kaboom. And that, of course, blows up the boats, no more boats, no more chase. Now, they get to safety, or what they think is safety, mm-hmm. 
and they're in the hotel room. Who do we see coming in? It's Rosa Klebb. Right. Disguised as the maid. Who is played by, from all reports, an utterly sweet woman by the name of Lana Lenya. Yeah, who, I'm sorry, is it's not the woman's fault that she looks like, let's be charitable. A toad. <laughs> I was going to say less than attractive. Okay, <laughs> she's a toad. So she's disguised as a maid. The girl sees her, but she's like, don't say nothing. Yeah. Because she's trying to get the lector and sneak out the room right. quietly without Bond seeing her. Because he's on the phone. He says, hey, mm-hmm. put that back. Now she gets... And the- we've seen earlier that she's got this little poison-tipped shoe thing because she kills Kronstein with it. No, it's the other guy standing behind him, remember? Okay. Because remember, Blofeld always got his things that he does right. in these Bond movies where he has two of his subordinates that are on the carpet right. for fucking up. Yeah. And then he makes one think he's going to kill him, but he actually yeah. kills the other. And the guy has the poison tip shoe. Her and Bond get into a fight right. where she's got the poison tip shoe. Which brings she- us to another first in the series, which is the final attacks of the secondary right, villain. Right, right. Because Bond movies would start to get into a pattern where you thought that it was over with. But one of the henchmen would usually right. be left alive and they would make a final attempt at killing Bond. Mm-hmm. Which is what she does. Which, of course, doesn't succeed. Right, of course. Of course not, because he's James Bond. We end in the Venice Canals he, with Bond disposing of the He's in the, the boat, film. he's in the boat, he's in the clinch with the girl. Yeah, right, right. he's got the film. That's the last the, shot of the film where he raises his hand up with the film and lets the film go off. And right. The, the thing that, that strikes me about this one is, as we've mentioned, until we get to The Spy Who Loved Me, which, oddly enough, is also about a decoding machine, this is as close as we're going to get to an actual Cold War spy thriller. Yeah, and you know, fairly realistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not really anything in there. Even the the, the super briefcase of wonders, mm-hmm. all of them are understandable. Yeah. It's not like when we get to the Roger Moore stuff, where we get to the magnetized wristwatches. Right, and, the, and we get to the gondolas that turn into yeah. speedboats. This is a fairly realistic, straightforward... Again, the travel log thing, mm-hmm. uh, we got the visit to the gypsy camp. We have that wonderfully atmospheric scene where Bond and Karen Bay, they're in a boat up on the Oh, underground. God, yes. And they're going through this incredible... The, the catacombs. Catacombs with of, the gothic of, pillars. Constantinople. Wonderfully atmospheric. The Orient Express. Mm-hmm. It's great locations. Action can't be beat. Sean Connery looks more comfortable in this one right. than he did in Dr. Nose. He's got his groove and he's saying, okay, I know what's expected. And, and there's a real, know. real, I mean, we keep coming back to Karen Bay, but there's a real chemistry between them. Oh, they're just so comfortable together. And when they're trying to assassinate the guy who injured Karen Bay, he's got the one arm in the sling. He goes, you yeah. can't do it that way. Let me do it. He's like, yeah. and he goes, I'm in your day. He's like, how can a friend ever be in debt? Yeah, that's a nice one. And that yeah. says and we got volumes a, about their relationship. And we have to mention also that Karen Bay turns out to be the sacrificial lamb. Yes, Unfortunately. Oh, man, unfortunately. But he has this wonderful scene where he's explaining to Bond about, you know, well, all of my sons. Nothing know, works better. Nothing is yeah, closer than blood. Family said, yeah, well, the driver, that's my son. That was my, my son. son. That's my son. That's my Although, son. you know what I think is like the, one of the funniest scenes with Karen Bay, where he's like sitting there doing his studying, and he's got the woman over on the bed. She's like going, Karen Bay. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, please, woman. Yeah, shut up. Said, yeah, he said, well, no, not again. He said, <laughs> yes. I'm trying to get some work done. Here. But again, this is another, another little bit of trivia. The actor's actual son shows up in License to Kill. Yeah, he plays the general. As a matter of fact, yeah, you can even see it. If you look at mm-hmm. him, there is a definite resemblance. Yeah. I really kind of wish that they had done what they did with the actor who played Quarrel's son. Because when Quarrel Jr. shows up in Live and Let Die, yeah. that's. 
the actual actor's son. Really? Okay, cool. I would have liked to have seen one of the Yeah, it's a movie that still holds up very well. I like it a lot. I watch it, got it on tape. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched it just the other night. Yeah. And I was surprised at how, even though I've seen it about a dozen times, I still get engrossed in the story. Well, I think what really makes From Russia With Love, you notice how much we spent in this section mm-hmm. talking about the various actors and the mm-hmm. various great performances in mm-hmm. this film. That's what I think really carries this movie, is people like Robert Shaw and like Lada Lenya. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's like, for example, there are certain things also that are kind of like sort of introduced. This is the first time we get the sort of lesbian subtext that every once yeah. in a while shows up mm-hmm. because you have that scene with Lada Lenya and Diana Bianche. Yeah. Where they're yeah. kind of, sort of... Yeah, yeah, they hit the, the roundabout of that. That Rosa Klebb is that, a butch. Yeah, that she swings for the other team. You know, I watched it the other night, and I was really surprised at how, I, even though I've seen it, I know what goes on. Mm-hmm. I got really engrossed in watching, even more so than Dr. No. Much like Dr. No, this one is extremely close to the books. There are some superficial changes. In the novel, it is Smirsh. Not Spectre, that's the instigator of the plot. Mm-hmm. We'll actually see Smurfs show up, mm-hmm. kind of, sort of, as we get much later on in the series. Yeah, but in the movie, Spectre was like the main one. So once again, we're seeing these elements kind of being presented, but not yet fully gelling. They're there and they're being shifted around and we can kind of recognize them, like you said, like the pre-credit sequence, which I mean... Which, like soon, I said, was totally an accident. But which soon became a staple right. of the bond. And a lot of times, you even have like a whole mini-story in there that mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the rest of the movie. The formula doesn't gel fully until the next film, which will be in the next episode. And that will be covering Goldfinger... Goldfinger and Thunderball. 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 Considered in Goldfinger, many people consider it to be the definitive Bond film. Yeah, well, I think that that's the one where... It's all, definitely the one where the formula is not where, where solidly the form, Right, exactly. This is the one where all the ingredients were in the pot, and it made a perfect stew. But so, we'll get to that on our next episode. Do we want to give uh, our grade for these first two? What are we going to use, on a scale of 1 to 10? I guess 1 to 10. First, uh, Dr. Uh, no. Dr. No, I would say, is probably a solid 6.57. Yeah, I'd say 7. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 7. Okay. I'm a little bit higher than you. Because, see, well, you know me, I'm a traditionalist. Right. I always give the first in the series props because this one sets up James Bond's world. Mm. Get to know the character, who he is, who he works for. Hey, it's James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be able to make you laugh now for a couple of weeks. Go to the bathroom. Here he goes. He's still swallowed. Pull it down. Okay. From Russia with love. Eight. Eight. Yeah, I say yeah. I might even give it a little bit higher because I just I. Eight point five. Maybe even yeah because one of the things that I if nothing else, Red Grant. It's got a couple of really amazing characters in. Karen Bay in Red Grant, even Rosa Klebb. All great villains. All amazing characters. It's got probably the most faithful adaptation of the novel mm-hmm. to the screen. It's got just a lot, of, lot going for it, and I really do enjoy it. I would give it an 8.5. Sounds and good next me. time, we tackle the big one. Yep. Shall we go through the... The administrative duties? Administrative duties, okay. Do do your thing, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to send us hate mail or pipe bombs or death threats or anything, I'm used to death threats. I'm used to money. (laughs) Or money. (laughs) Send me money. We like the money. Send me money. 
you can always drop us an email at better in the dark. That's better the letter N the dark at gmail.com. If you want to leave us a message on our Podomatic page, it's betterinthedark.podomatic.com. You can vote for us, of course, on Podcast Alley. That's always helpful. If you really, really want to go all in, you may join our Yahoo mailing list, which is at movies.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash better in the dark. All these are great, wonderful ways to get your feedback on. That's a good way of putting it. Nothing's more funnier than a white guy trying to talk black. (laughs) When I was with Jenny, my fiancé of four years, she would intentionally make me talk black because it cracked her the hell up. It cracked her up. (laughs) Like, okay, okay, say that, say that. We ought to do that one episode. Say say for shizzle for me again, Tom. In one episode, you can talk black and I'll talk black. There you go. <laughs> Sounds like a high-concept David Chappelle sketch. Oh, it's Leopard, man! Leopard! <laughs> oh, until then... Until then, folks, I can't believe that anybody hasn't seen these movies yet. Yeah. But uh, just in case you haven't, or if you haven't seen them because you say, oh, well, they're too Or you old, haven't seen them in a while. By all means, please revisit them Revisit again. them. They're on special, recently remastered editions, which I own. You can pretty much catch them any morning on Spike TV. Oh, yeah. Spike they, TV runs them, like, all the time. If you don't want to go out and rent them, I don't and see why you wouldn't. two down and 19 to, 19 go- to go. Sorry, 21 to go. 20, we, we forgot our little side ones there. 21 to go. This is going to be a long haul, folks. Stay tuned and stay with us because... It's going to be a fun ride. We guarantee you. This has been Derek Ferguson. And this has been Thomas DJ. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, go go see see that that movie. movie. Good night. Good night and God bless. You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks to Joaquin and Adam of Four Years Only, Brian Ibbett of Coverville, the Stomp Tokyo Podcast, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash better in the dark. Better in the Dark wishes it was able to shake the hands of Desmond Llewellyn and Lois Maxwell and hopes this dedication is some small quantum of consolation. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and vodka to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that it's impossible for friends like you ever be in our debt. Dry martini, lemon peel, shaken, not stirred. Vodka? Of course.